Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today, and I'm joined as always with Jason Johnston Yellen, and we are having a little bit of a chuckle about the tariffs that uh, that have gone into effect. And I know chuckling is not the proper response, but sometimes well, you say it's gallows humor, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what What else can you do? You can cry, but that's not a good way to start a podcast. <laughs> Could just, you imagine? Just fucking... Welcome, welcome <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. <laughs> oh, good grief. Yeah. yeah. Oof. It's, yeah. Uh, it's a time to be alive. Um, if, if In case this is your first episode, my name is Jason Johnston Yell, and I'm Joshua's business partner. Uh, podcast partner, mm-hmm. friend. Mm-hmm. Um, so welcome to your first episode. The bestest. You're my buddy. My buddy. My buddy. My buddy. My buddy. Wherever I go, he goes. My buddy. My buddy. My buddy. Yeah, it's a it's a hell of a time to be in the industry. You and I have talked to all industry people for the last five years mm-hmm. because the podcast grew out of the conversations that we've been having with industry folk. Correct, yeah. But we've been we've been asking industry folk for five years, where do you see this going? Where do you see this industry? This is an industry of peaks and troughs and swings and roundabouts, ups yeah. and downs. What do you see? And to a person, we continually hear we're in a new reality. This is this is a new position for this industry. Yeah. The old mistakes will not be made, but <laughs> and uh, and this is not a bubble that will burst. This is instead a rise that will plateau. And nobody that we have spoken to ever thought there would be a twenty five percent tariff on single malt scotch coming into the United States. Because when have we ever? levied tariffs on our closest allies. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, and, you know, the the interesting thing is as these tariffs are getting, as the, when they were first announced and everybody's sharing every article uh, on it, you know, through Facebook and Twitter and, and uh, you know, all of those sort of social media outlets, a, how should I say this? There have been two schools of thoughts as to how the tariffs would affect us. Now, the the school of thought that that we had was that it was a 25% tariff on the importation of a product. So if it mm-hmm. cost if it cost a mm-hmm. hundred dollars to import a case of whiskey, the importation would add twenty-five dollars onto that case of whiskey, and then you have to, then the importer makes their margin, they sell it to a distributor, they make their margin, they sell it to a retailer, they make their margin. And in between those different tiers, you also have taxes that have to be considered and transportation that has to be considered and all of this stuff. So that mm-hmm. that was the thought process that we had. And then, and you and I were talking about this earlier, Jason, there were some other people who were in the same business as us, whether they're bottlers or importers, and they said, no, we think that what it is is a 25% increase on the taxes 
So if you've got a six yes. a six percent tax on you know a case that cost a hundred dollars, we'll add twenty five percent to that six. So what's twenty five percent more of six? So it becomes a much smaller number. Yeah, but um, I think a really good source. And we talked about this. I don't know if it was last ep- no, it was the Ian Robertson episode. Yep. Where we talked about the tariffs initially and you said something good. You said pay attention to Mark Gillespie with Whiskey Cast. And um I did say that. You did say that. And and so he has an article. If you go to whiskeycast.com, uh, there's an article calling explaining the Trump administration whiskey tariffs and I'm going to just quickly read a paragraph. Yeah, go for it. It says, what will this do to the price of my favorite single malt? So Mark Mm -hmm. Mark Gillespie says, let's be clear for a moment. This is not a 25% tax that will be applied at the cash register when you're buying a bottle. When a shipment of single malt whiskey that's subject to the tariff arrives to the U.S. port of entry, Customs and Border Protection agents will look at the price on the invoice accompanying the shipment to the U.S. importer. Let's say a 9-liter case of single malt, which is 1275CL or 750ML bottles, Mm -hmm. um, has a supplier invoice price of $100. In this case, the Custom and Border Protection agents would charge the U.S. importers $25 based on the 25% tariff to clear it for entry into the United States. Now, the importer's cost for that case is $125. So it's pretty straightforward. It's the worst case scenario. It's not a 25% increase just on taxes. It is on the product itself. And then you've got the importer cost goes up by 25%. Then they have to make their margin. They sell it to the distributor who has to make their margin. They sell it to the retailer who has to make their margin. And in between that, you have the states that make their margin on taxes. You've got freight costs in between states. And this is why we were kind of laughing because what else can you do in you know, when you hear the worst news? Yeah. <laughs> hi listeners thanks for joining us today um yeah but but then my question is if if this is put in place to recoup 7.6 billion Mm dollars that was a makeup for how the european union had subsidized airbus yeah Who's keeping track of all these numbers? How long is it going to take us to get to $7.6 billion? And if we do reach that point, will the tariffs go away? I I worry that we're going to see a repeat of what we had with the, the airline industry, mm. which was post 9-11. There were a whole bunch of fees and additional taxis went on to the price of airline tickets Mm. that never came off again. It's just the new reality. And as we take this step up in the price of single malt, does that just stay in place in perpetuity? Um, 
you, yeah. you know, you and I have spent a lot of time talking to industry people um, since we've had this podcast. We've got it on wax. Before we had the podcast, it served as the impetus for what we wanted to do with the mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. But we ask industry folk all the time, what do you see the future holding for this industry? This is a peaks and troughs industry. This is a swings and roundabouts industry. What happens in the 60s was repeated in the 80s. Now here we are in 2019, staring down the barrel of a whole bunch of unexpected twists and turns for this industry. Nobody planned for this. It was announced in early October. It was implemented middle of October. And here we are, the end of October, still playing catch up on all of this. It's yeah. it's a mental state of affairs for anybody to run a business. What's what is that big number that we ha- have to make up for through tariff fees? Seven point six billion. Okay, so the whiskey industry itself, in total. Now this includes blends, and this includes blended malts, and this includes grains, and this includes. The sale of of Scotch whiskey around the world, not just into the U.S., but around the world, it's about a five billion pound industry. Single malt sales into the U.S. is only about four hundred and fifty million pounds. Mm. So, the amount of money being made off the back of single malt Scotch whiskey from the tariffs is going to be minuscule if that's what needs to be made up, you know, to get rid of them. And and that's why there's tariffs, of course, on uh, French wine and Italian cheese and auto parts from other countries. But still, it's, if the plan is we need to make up, you know, 7 billion euros through this tariff, it's going to take a long time. My hope is that the strategy changes. Well, it's a bit like our, our conversations with Scott Harris, where Scott Harris is hunkering down at Catoughton Creek Distilling Company, yeah. hunkering down and waiting for an administration change. And he doesn't think anything is going to change until we get new eyes on this problem. So we we might be yeah it, it, you know we we have listened to Scott we have interviewed Scott we have shared the words of Scott we have been sympathetic to Scott and then as soon as they announced this I was like oh we're in the same boat as Scott okay well at least we did our best to help him fight the good cause when it was going his product was going off to Europe now here we are the ones talking about it with our products coming uh, in from Europe. Yeah, you know, when the tariffs and and I don't want to I don't want this to be just like a, a bitch and moan session on tariffs. We have other things that we need to talk about in well, the podcast. But wait till wait till consumers start seeing the price of their single malts going up on shelves. It it will be a bitch and moan fest. You know, because consumers yeah. don't want to pay more and, I, and I'm a consumer. <laughs> And I don't want to pay more. Yeah. But, you know, hearing about the EU tariffs on American whiskeys, and I thought to myself, this is, this is obviously terrible. It, it's, it's, it's not good, and it's going to hurt American business. The, you know, the selfish part of me thought, 
you know, well, geez, whew, at least it's not, at least this tariff isn't affecting any of the, the, the whiskeys or products that we are dealing with. And now here we are in a situation where uh, we are dealing with it. And, and now we're in the same boat as, as unfortunately, as, as Scott and Becky Harris and, and many other producers. Many other, yep, many others. And, you know, again, Gallo's humor, all of a sudden Brexit sounds like it's a good thing. Beca- no. Right? But it doesn't. But but no. but you can rationalize. You can rationalize. Oh well, if you know they get out of the European Union because this is a European tariff, not a UK tariff. You say, oh, that will go away. But it's not good. Nothing is good right now, Jason. <laughs> but it's also not clear that it that it would go away, right? I was talking to somebody in the industry in California earlier this week, and and I'd said. You know, you don't like to say it out loud, but at least if the UK leaves Europe, we'll be free from these European, you know, tariffs. And the person said, "No, they'll just apply them to the United Kingdom." And I was like, "You may very well be right." Yeah, right. <laughs> because the UK, as a standalone entity, will have no power to fight back about the United States because the United States will be the number one trading partner of the United Kingdom. Yeah. After it falls out of the European Union. <sighs> <laughs> and it, this is why we chuckle with our head in our hands. Why are we drinking tea instead of whiskey? <laughs> because if I start drinking whiskey, I might not stop. <laughs> <laughs> so um, <sighs> with Brexit mentioned, mm-hmm. you and I have the great honour today of introducing our European sales manager because we have decided in the face of it all that we should be expanding into the UK and Europe at a time that there is immense uncertainty in those markets. Yep. Uh, hold on. Let me let me cue up the sad trombone. <laughs> there it is. Okay. <laughs> so what will be really fun for us is if we start bottling American whiskeys mm-hmm. under the single cask nation brand mm-hmm. and exporting those to our new UK and European markets. <laughs> We will be paying 25% tariffs in both directions. Both ways. <laughs> you know, I've heard many times people say that we go both ways, which, which is not the case. But in this case, it is the case. 25% of us will be going both 25% ways. 25% of us will be going both ways. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> it's a good time to be alive. <sighs> You remember that new question that we've started asking at the end of our interviews? Yeah, what's your favorite joke? <laughs> no. Oh, that one? No. no not what's, that one? what's the thing that's got you most excited about your brand or distillery right now? Oh, that one. I, f- yeah. I find myself asking us the exact same question. <laughs> right? Yeah. What's there to be excited about when you're faced with all of this... <sighs> Shit. <laughs> um, and so, so let me yeah. offer an answer. Okay, good. Let's hear it. 
I am very excited that we have a European sales manager. I, too, am very excited because we need, even before all of this, we, we needed someone to expand into these markets. But now, not only did we need someone to expand into the markets, but we need the right person to be able to navigate all of this new shit. And I tell you, Jason, we've known her for years. We have known her for years. Um, We have been impressed by her for years. For years. I am so very proud to say that we've hired Jessica Lomas to be our European sales manager. There are few people, male, female, cat, dog aside, like there are few people within the industry that have impressed me as much as Jess impresses me. Yeah, and, and for regular listeners who are saying, Jessica Lomas, I'm sure I know that name. If you, like us, are crazy into single malt Mm -hmm. and do look for very special bottles that may only be available in Scottish auctions, Mm -hmm. you may have exchanged email with the Queen of the Boxies. (laughs) That's right, the Queen of the Boxies. which was Jessica Lomas's nickname, uh, and I think it was on her business card as well, uh, during her time at Scotch Whiskey Auctions. And she was there for six years. And as somebody who was able to move shipments of whiskey around the world, Jess has read more boring legislation yeah. than anybody else I know in the whiskey industry. Uh-huh. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? I, I agree wholeheartedly. And the fact that she has the, the the mental fortitude to not just fall asleep having... Exactly. <laughs> you know, reading all of that. Exactly. And so when I was in, in Scotland in uh, the very beginning of October, mm-hmm. I was able to travel around with Jess. I was able to introduce her to many of our industry contacts over there, mm-hmm. let them know the the new person who'd be doing European and UK business on our behalf. Uh, as we have discussed about the, the singular market, she will also be working Israel, South Africa, and Canada for us. Mm-hmm. And perhaps Asia as well. Really anywhere we can send her. Yep. We will be changing her job title as we send her further afield. Timbuktu. <laughs> But I have to say, it was kind of interesting for the last couple of weeks as we've been teasing the European sales manager mm-hmm. uh, release information more and more. We've had emails, we've had messages from people saying, I think I know who it is. Like smart people listen to this podcast. Yes, they do. Yes, they and do. And put two and two together and listen carefully and even watch us on Instagram and are saying, I. I think I know who you're yeah. about to announce. And um, and so I, I'm hoping that this reveal will make some listeners very happy <laughs> that they got the person they wanted. Yeah, you know, the, the breadcrumbs were out there for people to pick up if they so <laughs> desired. And for those that decided to, well, uh, you are rewarded because you are correct. And we did have to be squirrely about it for, for you know, reasons. Mm-hmm. So during my time with Jess mm-hmm. in Scotland, yeah. 
I was able to sit down when we were together in Elgin and interview her. And Jess is a long, long time listener of mm. the podcast. Yes. Uh, and we thank her for that support long before she was an employee. Mm-hmm. And she thought it was a little bit weird to be speaking to the podcast. So I, I understand why, right? Because, you know, we're, <laughs> we're, we're in our headphones all the time. And she says uh-huh. it to us anytime we go out to, to that side of the pond and visit with her. She lives in, in Glasgow. And uh, she says, you know, it's, I've been friends with you guys for years, but it's still so weird hearing your voice and not hearing it through my, through my headphones. But what I want to say... I understand why she feels weird about it. But what do we do with this podcast? We interview incredibly interesting people who have accomplished a good many things in their whiskey industry life. And and Jess is right in there. She fits that oh, yeah. description. And that's why I, over the course of the interview with her, I really wanted her to lay down her history because she has worked multiple tiers here mm-hmm. and it's it's been really fascinating getting to know her and getting to hear her talk about being on the other side of the retailer counter yeah. and seeing wholesale prices coming in from a brand yeah. and knowing what it takes to get that onto a shelf. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, what it also takes to move whiskey around the world, Mm. even from a consumer side as opposed to maybe a a brand side of it. But again, you're back into that. She has this ability to read legislation and grasp it. And we'll find out why in the interview. I don't want to give the answer to that just yet. Um, But there's a, a clear and decisive answer here. But I did want to get that history. For those who only know her as Queen of the Boxes, mm-hmm. now here's, here's a much more rounded understanding of what she's been up to in the industry. And she's been in the industry for a while. Even for a young woman, she has, she's been around a while and knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, we'll then go on to talk some, some other things in the interview. But I think we probably sat there maybe 30 minutes, maybe 35 minutes. I can't oh, okay. quite remember. Okay. But as we've been doing in our recent malt stock series, we're just going to let this one play. Yeah. And you can yep. just hear the very simple back and forth uh, between me and Jess. And you can listen to her get more comfortable as the interview goes on, uh, as she transitions from, I'm almost listening to myself being interviewed to... Okay, I'm an interview subject here. Let's yeah. let's talk yeah. about some things. So here, here we are. Without further delay, our new European sales manager, Jessica Lomas. So we'll get into your history in just a second. What was your spark in whiskey? You're a young lass growing up in Yorkshire, and there was a moment where whiskey entered your life. What did that moment look like? That's uh, quite a good question, actually. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> thanks. That's expert. Good way to uh, lead me into talking nonsense for the next three hours. Welcome to One Nation Under Whiskey. You're good. You're you're getting used to it real fast. <laughs> I only know one man in Campbelltown who's listened to more episodes than I have. And even then, I'm going to... He tells me he's rerunning them, which is <laughs> crazy. That was uh, him just boasting about he's running at the gym. That was all... 
<laughs> well, I'm, I'm not going to butter you up like that. So that's not <laughs> happening. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Um, my family, we used to go on holiday in the Northeast. Um, and like all normal people from Yorkshire, they took a holiday farm in a little village uh, just outside a town called Banff. Uh, and famous I was for its closed whiskey distillery. Famous for its closed whiskey distillery and Macduff House, ah. which has an excellent children's playground, which is and a golf course for those people who are into those sorts of things. <laughs> are you paid by the Banff Tourist Board at all? Oh, uh, yeah, by the. Well, it used to be. It wasn't Murray, it was Banff and Buckinghamshire. Oh. So, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, they used to go on holiday up there, and I loved the farm that we stayed on, and they were. Um, in a place called Mill of Alva. That's a big shout out to Mrs. Davidson if she's listening, which I'm sure she is. Um, they had cattle, but they also grew barley. And on the kind of good summers, we would come up at the end of the harvest because that's when the English school holidays are. And they would tell us about how, if it was a really good harvest, maybe the maltsters or distilleries had bought the barley. And obviously that's kind of like the heart of whiskey land uh, in Speyside. So like that. And then... Uh, because it's a normal thing to take children to when you're not really drinkers. Um, my parents used to take us to Glenfiddich Distillery. Uh-huh. So I jokingly bore everybody at every tasting I ever do that they've been trying to sell me to Glenfiddich since I was four. And that's probably not strictly true. They've been trying to give me away <laughs> to Glenfiddich since I was four. Um, because I just loved the tour and I loved uh, the process and the smells and the sights and the sounds. So I think it's been ingrained in me from quite an early age without really realising that's where I was going. Uh, I became a whiskey drinker at university, went to Aberdeen. So that's yours and mine's Snap. Uh, alma mater. Indeed. Um, and my two best friends at uni, um, their their dads had introduced them to the world of whiskey, one very much through an Isla slant okay. and the other one through a slightly more interesting route through um, his two drums that my friend Craig introduced me to were um, Talisker and Cragenmore because Cragenmore was what his grandfather drank so good. quite good. early on we were drinking Cragenmore which good is good juice, nothing wrong with that at all curious. I'm also only good to admit it here and to all the podcast listeners that we used to go to a pub, very famous pub called the Prince of Wales drink a lot of their whiskey we may have taken a whiskey book with us to start with uh-huh. that book might have been written by a man who wears a hat oh okay and has Slightly sinister eyes. Okay, not a man who shares a name with a famous pop star. No. Uh, a bit like Voldemort. But we don't <laughs> talk about him. So, <laughs> but as a, a, a kind of point, we just took it because it was a, a list of whiskey and the pub had quite an intimidating whiskey range mm. and not necessarily staff who, in a busy pub, it's unreasonable to be like, so tell me about... Sure. I mean, we used to go drink there a lot and we made a nuisance of ourselves. And how old were you? Were you 18, 18 at that yeah, time? Yeah, you we were 18. 18 at that time. You were still just fresh to Aberdeen at that point. Yeah, like uh, definitely the first couple of years of uni, we discovered the pub. And um, Guinness was a pound of pint, so that was quite a lot of my student drinking. And then whiskey just became like a thing that we started doing and we became quite nerdy about it. Um, and we stopped pretty quickly taking that book to the pub with us one because we realized we look like total losers <laughs> we'd be under the table like what's it turn to 15 did we have that did he says it's 92 points okay uh-huh. fine um we stopped taking it because we decided we were not necessarily agreeing with what he was saying sure and so that book just stopped coming to the pub with us so it was a reference sure. point and then after that we moved on and i think that's i would encourage other people to do that to listen for advice and opinions yep and then when you started finding your own, there's nothing wrong with them not agreeing. So, 
we stopped taking his um, and we worked our way through a lot of the whiskey in the Prince of Wales. Um, and I realized that I was becoming really quite nerdy about it in a way that my friends were, but I was nerdier, I think. Was, given that you didn't grow up in a family that was drinking spirits or, or anything else, do you remember the whiskey that that first had you go, oh, this is a thing? Or was it just the category writ large that you were uh, It's not. So the joke that I tell my parents not drinking, because we say that my mum can get drunk off wine gums. Like, they will drink, but not, <laughs> I mean, they're not really drinkers, drinkers. My grandparents were interested in, it was, drink was always a social thing. I was brought up every Sunday, the whole family got together and we had Sunday lunch in a pub, so... Mm. Like, okay. drink has always been there, but it's, I don't come from like a prohibition family where it was not spoken of. There was mm. drink in the house, but it just wasn't a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my th- I think maybe one of my first whiskeys probably would have been something like a Dallas Dew, which is obviously where everybody starts their whiskey journey. Fwa, fwa, fwa. But that's because we used to go to Dallas Dew, and that was because that's part of historic Scotland, and you can tour it. It's a very good tour. It sort of looks, or in my mind as I remember it, like the workers have just gone out the back for their lunch break. It's okay. pretty weird. It's a bit eerie walking around a distillery, which is still intact, but there's nobody there working. So um, hmm. yeah, something like that. Uh, something that I remember drinking and really consciously coming back to. Uh, I think once we'd worked through a few in the pub, it was probably something like a Macallan Fine Oak 15. Really, I just was like, this is great. This has got loads of flavors that I like in it, which now I think it's interesting. My palate's changed but i pretty quickly became really into pt whiskies okay um so for me lagavulin was an early love pretty quickly early on um and it got to the point where uh, <laughs> we used to call it a fuck you dram because uh, we would try and like outdo each other and we were like okay so uh, we had a spring bank for the last one uh-huh. but we would all go away and get whiskies and we'd share them it was quite communal one of us would just mess up the round by just being like scared like like a villain uh-huh. and we'd come back and be like oh you bastard <laughs> that's not what i was going for but now i want it oh yes so, very um, much so very quickly became the kind of thing that we we're like if we couldn't choose that's what we'd have um if we were feeling flush we'd treat ourselves to a trip to the grill another very famous aberdeen whiskey bar very much so award-winning um, award-winning great selection beautiful architecture inside too um and so it kind of spanned from there i started working for a shop called Peckham's and they're a, a were a wine deli and off license but they had they had a great selection of whiskey and beers um so were you still uh, a student when you started yeah. working for Peckham's yeah. so this was a part-time job that yeah, part-time job at that point you had the whiskey interest from visiting the bar and then you were able to combine that with a whiskey job really yeah so that was pretty cool i was able to sell whiskey and obviously we'd visited distilleries so it wasn't just confined to bar space and we were by then sharing bottles of whiskey and it got to the point where actually my friend and i we did very seriously talk about how when we graduated we should open a whiskey shop in aberdeen there you go um i know some young men had a similar conversation about a decade before you oh really (laughs) (laughs) and they never opened one either yeah well we we were pretty serious we had gone and talked to i knew a guy who knew he had a lot of properties in aberdeen um we talked about collaborating with him he had a huge building that had a business in the bottom of it um we had like this really kind of like mad idea that we would um have a coffee shop inside it so that you could sit and have like artisan coffees and choose of your whiskies and then you could use it as a venue at night for tastings that kind of stuff because we were smart idea by this point uh 20 and we knew everything (laughs) 
<laughs> I've forgotten a lot of it by now, but I knew everything. Um, and so that kind of, it never happened. And we all graduated law, we were all lawyers, uh, law students. We all graduated and then we all, two of them were sort of from West Coast and Glasgow. And then me and another friend, we all sort of ended up in Glasgow. Um, two of us doing legal diplomas by that point. Mm. My friend who I was going to open the shop with, he'd gone away to be a brewer. Uh, and my, oh. my other friend who introduced me to Isla Whiskies, big shout out to James, is uh, he went away to become an opera singer because that's a logical progression from lawyer to opera singer. Wow. Yeah, so he went to the conservatory in Glasgow. So that's how we kind of ended up in Glasgow. And um, I was doing my legal diploma, but I still needed money to fund my expensive drinking habits. So I uh, carried on working for Peckham. So I, I just transferred. And so I was by then doing quite a lot of like um, work in booze shops and running tastings with colleagues that were not always whiskey related, but drinks related. Mm, okay. Um, on site, not necessarily out and about, site, um, or would you also go out and about? Did we hold that? We had a pretty cool building that we used to hold big events in. I don't remember. We might have done like a couple, but not like I've done later. Um, yeah. And I just got miserable working in retail. I couldn't get a traineeship and I um, went to a Ralphie tasting. Okay, we're familiar with him on the podcast. Our listeners are very familiar with him. I'll bet. Um, and he was doing a charity tasting and I uh, went along to that. And I met a colleague who I'd worked with in Glasgow and I jokingly said to him, how are you doing? Where are you working? Have you got any jobs for me? Pretty much in that order. Uh, and he laughed and he said, oh, I think I do actually. <laughs> so that's how I started working at uh, Scotch Whiskey Auctions. Uh-huh. That is also the fateful night in which I met... Christopher Sweet Scott Hellstrom. Ah, uh, Sweet Scott, our beloved Sweet Scott. <laughs> beloved Sweet. <clears throat> yes, I love you. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> you said it's on wax now. Oh no, there's no going back. <laughs> so um, I started working with them. Uh, I started pretty much immediately with them, uh, and I had six fairly blissful years of existence there. Um, and I did a bit of everything from looking at the kind of front stuff coming in and then specializing in logistics. I'm sure lots of people listening to this, not that I'm famous, know me as uh, Queen of the Boxes. <laughs> <laughs> I like the tone of voice you adopted there. I think a few people might know me. <laughs> Queen of the Boxes. Don't know if you know this, but I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> you can edit that out, Joshua. I'm not a big deal. Yes, yes. Single castination, big deal. <laughs> Do you know what's really difficult about podcasts is when I wink at you sarcastically, <laughs> the listeners can't see it. We need some sort of like audio subtitles. Uh, I feel like there's going to be an Anchorman quote going <laughs> in there. Pretty, pretty great, to be honest with you. Um, so, and I, um, Chris and I do taste things and we travel the world. And I met, I was lucky enough to meet you two in Thank you. New York. And we were lucky enough to meet you. And I just, um, I really love the way you guys ran the Jubilee. And so that was really cool getting to travel um, with work and meet lots of my then customers, but also just being part of what felt like a big whiskey family. It was really um, quite inspiring and nice to meet people, not only that were so kind of uplifting of you guys, but just of whiskey in general. There are lots of people that I've met at the festivals who now I would regard as kind of like long distance friends, that it's really nice that I know that if I was in Seattle, I could look them up and I could have recommendations from everything from like sandwich shops to the best places to drink and I'd have cool buddies to hang out with. Exactly. And I think that's really awesome. Um, and I think that's one of the nice bits of this industry is that it brings people together and we all get to discuss these 
uh, whiskies, which, you know, from our three ingredients, or as you and I learned yesterday, four ingredients, because the fourth ingredient in whiskey is love. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and time. It's the most delicious ingredient. Yeah, I know, right? Chill-filtered love. Oh, that tasty, tasty love. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's really awesome. And I... I love traveling the world and doing tastings because I love seeing what people make of the whiskies. And, and that's the thing is, it's one thing to be in a warehouse. It's one thing to select a cask. And then as, as we have said on the podcast many times, we now think first and foremost of the audience that we have and the listenership that we have and the nation members that we have. Yeah. And it's very pleasing to think about those people enjoying the cask that's being selected in that moment. But you don't know that until you start traveling, until you start seeing them across the table, yeah. and still you, until you start talking to them at tastings. You don't quite know how it is resonating. And so we've been incredibly fortunate to get out and about. And now in bringing you into the fold, you get to enjoy going out and seeing those people that enjoy Single Cast Nation and support Single Cast Nation the way that you have to date. And thank you for all of your support. Oh, I, I think maybe you've planted something in my head all those years ago when we came to Seattle <laughs> and we were lucky enough to be uh, allowed into a Westland barrel pick. Mm-hmm. And I I was just like, this is really cool because we weren't expecting to be allowed in. We had done the, uh, I think actually the show was maybe the next day. I think it was the night we arrived in Seattle. I think I you're right. Feeling. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we had, had just kind of written off that we were just going to be in Seattle doing whatever. And you guys were like, well, come and hang out with us. It's going to be at Westland. It's going to be super cool um we're picking a cast tonight and i I genuinely didn't think we were going to be involved in that that we would just see the distillery and then it'd be closed doors and nation (laughs) members would pick the cask and and it wasn't and that was really amazing to be part of that and the fact that chris and i signed our signatures in the middle of the barrel uh was just us kind of showing off that we weren't meant to be here but we've done it anyway so um if anybody's ever in glasgow and they go to the world famous bon accord for the next probably week and a half so maybe by the time you hear this it won't be there um chris and i have actually got the bottle of the westland of the cask we picked which ah, turned out to be the one the nation members also picked yes um we have that two-year-old westland in the keys cabinet at the bon Accord because Fantastic. we wanted to put something we felt really connected to in that and i was lucky enough to open it with joshua when he came over early in the year that was really it was a nice touch to open it with the impex guys and just be like this is us showing you that we really genuinely appreciated what happened so that was a great release uh, and we've obviously talked about that on the podcast as well but to have this really nice, almost a, an American single malt meets bourbon through its yeah. maturation uh, and what that became. So, no, that, that was a real treat. And, and obviously, thanks to Westland for letting us through their doors and, oh, and totally. make that type of pick. So I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad it sowed a seed that night in your brain and, and it has led you down this path that has brought you to Single Cast Nation. I love it. As somebody who nearly accidentally ended up doing distilling at Harriet Watt, uh, and as I tell people is the only time I've obeyed my parents and I didn't I carried on with my law degree so I guess picking cast is the closest I'm going to get until I decide to win the lottery and open my own distillery um, but yeah <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it and I, I'm looking forward to meeting more single cast nation fans and meeting new ones too because I know there's there's going to be big noise and the people that I've met already and I've been pleasantly surprised that are European based that know of us I like saying that us they know of us <laughs> and what we do uh, what it is what we do what we do there you go yeah watch me go um <laughs> it's i'm excited about bringing it to more people because i'm 
I even in the years since I was doing retail, I can see a huge shift in the way people look at whiskey, the way they think about whiskey, um, and the important role that independent bottlers play in conveying that whiskey message. Uh, which sounds much fancier than I intended it to be. But that kind of, yeah. there's a bigger part to be played here. And I think it's really awesome that you can go out and say, okay, so we've picked this because we like, and one thing that really I like about single castination is it's it's not, we like this number and this color. It's about, we like the mouthfeel of this whiskey. Mm-hmm. whiskey. We like uh, the way it uh, evolves on our palates. Like there's a little bit more thinking involved in there. And I think that's really, really smart. So I'm excited to join and, Bring you my pearls of wisdom. Does that count? <laughs> wink. Wink. <laughs> Just to convey that to the listeners. Yeah. Listeners, I did a wink. <laughs> so so where do you find your palate? What are some of the flavors that you go looking for? You're more than welcome to throw some distilleries out there if that's a nice, easy shortcut as well. Um, but what can you teach us about your palate? Um, I, I have um, a definite uh, heavy leaning towards... Uh, that without doubt the Isla Pete, but I'm not, that's not always my first go-to choice. This afternoon we've had a fantastic experience at Anok and I have not drunk something from their range for quite a while and I had been pleasantly surprised by what Gordon, who was very generous and shed all some very, very nice whiskey with us, um, very pleasantly surprised uh, that there are whiskies that I have tried and then I've just moved on and just for whatever reason haven't come back to. So that was mm-hmm. nice to have some sort of floral and like gentle and honeysuckle and lots of like Gewürztraminer Riesling notes in there, which is right up my street. Um, I have a dying affinity for Mortlock. They were definitely in my top five. Although don't actually make me list the other four because <laughs> I'll, I'll change that in an hour. It's time. such funny shorthand, isn't it? Uh, it's in my top 10, 100,000 <laughs> whiskies. Um, so I, I also... I like kind of big, bold flavors. So that malt look, I think, provides a lot. Um, I've been very lucky recently and had some fantastic spring banks. Mm. Um, I'm not, there aren't many styles of whiskey, I think, to, I could ramble for another six weeks about this. There aren't many styles of whiskey I won't drink. There are definitely some that I'm like, I think they are perfectly acceptable, but they just don't, don't hold my attention enough. That's mm-hmm. not necessarily a flaw. Um, I like something that's got a bit of structure. It doesn't have to have a specific number or even a cask finish. I, yeah. I'm seriously falling for Bowmore in uh, bourbon casks in a way that I thought sure. I had sort of got over. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been lucky enough, David Turner's let us try some super cool stuff. Um, and I had always really loved Bowmore and Sherry. I think that's a classic. And in my previous form of employment, I've been lucky enough to try some really cool whiskeys. I've had black Bowmores and... Like stuff that I can name drop, like just the most awful person you've ever met. <laughs> I did it with somebody who will remain anonymous. Said, "So, what is the best whiskey you've ever tried?" And I just casually went, "Oh, uh, Motlock, seventy-five-year-old, had it with some uh, chicken tenders." I mean, here in the UK, we call those chicken nuggets, and they just were like, "What?" I was like, "Yeah, mic drop, goodbye." <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I have got, I've got bragging rights, but you know what? They're, they're not necessarily the best whiskeys I've ever had. Sure. To me, the best whiskeys are, and it could even just be Lagavulin in that pub with my best friends, and it was outside and I just it was the right place and the right time and I think context is almost as important in whiskey as the product itself well and that was the the pleasure that we had talking to Dave Broom over at Colhoman Uh and talking about context the value of it what does it bring to a dram in your glass and one of the things in Joshua and I selecting casks is we have a particular context in which we are selecting that cask Mm -hmm. it's why we never select in warehouses we might isolate some samples from Mm -hmm. being in a warehouse but it's very easy to fall in love 
in a warehouse oh, yeah. with wonderful aromas around you, popping bungs. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> it's always the bung with you. Oh, yeah. And, and instead taking them back to our usual conditions mm-hmm. in our offices, in mm-hmm. the same glassware, tasted in the same way. Um, but then thinking about that's a cast that we've now selected and bottled and sold, and all of our consumers, our nation members, uh, people who, who are fans of the nation, they will then have an infinite number of contexts right. in which they are consuming that cask. Yeah. And we're hopeful that we have, like you just said a moment ago, got a mouthfeel, a texture that that makes them happy with that purchase, mm-hmm. a flavor profile. So there's there's great value to that context. There seems to be a necessity to that context. And yet we still need to find flavors that live outside of those contexts and can exist in multiple territories and yeah. ways. And it's, it kind of unravels itself yeah, like when you start the, thinking too deeply. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think... One of the things that I enjoy, the more I've sort of discovered whiskey and got into it over the last, oh, well, that's a lot of years when I think about that. Um, I, I think I am willing to, I always like the idea of somebody proving me wrong. If I think in my head, oh, I don't like, don't particularly like anything I've had from Distillery X, which I'm not going to name yeah. out of fear. Um, <laughs> if you're going to come to me and say, well, I've got this and I really think you should just shut your eyes and try it. I, you know, I'm, I'm game for that. I'm, there are certain distilleries that you and Joshua had definitely have soft spots for that I'm not as easily sold on. Mm-hmm. But what I like is the opportunity a single cask affords is that you can try that. And maybe those, I don't know, maybe it was that you've previously only had it and it was in bourbon casks mm-hmm. and this is a sherried expression and it just gives you a different viewpoint for a distillery. So suddenly a whiskey that you were... Uh, I don't, okay so I've had it but I'm not going to buy a bottle or if I sit in a bar I'm probably not going to order it yeah. suddenly you've got an opportunity like oh yeah that, that was different that is it's a double-edged sword with single cast though because it is just a single cask and when it's gone <laughs> it's gone <laughs> buy it up as much as you can buy, buy all of it one bottle per person <laughs> one bottle per person at singlecastnation.com <laughs> got nothing in the shop we should put something in the yeah, shop yeah don't go look. don't there's go to the shop there's nothing, there's nothing in, the in there uh, yeah, so I, I like that that gives you an opportunity to do that so that's one of the things and the other thing I love about whiskey is the stories that it ekes out from places that uh, you know people are connected in the industry or people who have um, got stories to just tell about maybe even that one particular bottle because they've schlepped it across the entire globe mm-hmm. to get it here maybe it's the world's most well-traveled fetican and it's traveled across four continents you know that, that kind of I and I like that I like that it's there's a bit of imagination involved in it. No, I, I, there's a reason we hired you, because I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so thank you. Do you know where I think the best whiskies uh, and all the stories, the best stories are found in a Campbelltown warehouse? I don't know. <laughs> Do we know are you listening? Who lets us into a Campbelltown warehouse? Are you still running? Stop running. It's not good for you. You'll do your knees in. <laughs> Send help to the Campbellton gym. <laughs> so, so now you're on board and you're going to be representing Single Cast Nation in the UK, European countries, assuming they exist after Brexit. Oh, it's oh, going to be a shame don't. that there's no more Europe after Brexit. 
Uh, we're going to miss you. You <laughs> All the best to you. Uh, so what about your vision? What are we going to do then? <laughs> so you'll be heading out to Europe. Europe town, yeah. But then we're also adding in some other some other markets. We're kind of uh, reinvesting in Canada. Uh-huh. And you'll get to be responsible for that. That'll be wonderful. That's a really small territory, Canada. <laughs> and, then, and then there'll be some expansion that we'll talk about at another date. But definitely UK, Europe, and that Canadian market that we're going back into. And you'll be responsible for taking us into retail stores. Mm -hmm. Uh, You'll be responsible for the relationships with distributors in those, you know, European markets. Mm -hmm. And then you'll also be getting out and about and doing festivals. Yeah. And tastings. And we can't include Scandinavia in Europe, can we? We're not allowed to do that. Are we allowed to do that? I think, well, in my head. Are they European nations? Yeah. Oh, of course okay. they are. Oh, okay. Sorry, Scandinavian really? listeners. And that probably extends to Nordic listeners. And also listeners, uh, all of this is news to me. I, I just said, yeah, I'll take the job. Uh, so you you know as much as I do now, so that's great. Listen, listen, just like Joshua and I have production <laughs> meetings, this is now conducting your interview. <laughs> and at the end, listener, you can write in and vote whether or not I'm allowed to be kept. <laughs> no, please don't. I'll be very upsetting if they all say no. So there's, so there's a whole bunch of European countries that you're going to be spending time in. Yeah. I'm not going to ask you to, to list your, your favourite countries. That would just be silly. But clearly in your time with, with Scotch Whiskey <laughs> Auctions, you were also going out and you were pouring at festivals mm-hmm. and you were pouring across tables from consumers. Yeah. You know how to do that. What's a part of that that you've enjoyed? Um, I think uh, we never, well, uh, other members of the staff did European. So the festivals I did were the American ones and then I've done UK festivals. Um, I have taken part in European festivals as a consumer, but not as a as a pour on that side of the table. Um, for me, what I quite like is the opportunity to, again, it's about meeting people. And I, I like the idea of presenting something that someone hasn't had before. Like that kind of excites me to be like, oh, tell me what it is you like. Uh, okay, well, I think you will like this, or perhaps you should try that one. Um, that's not always possible at some of the noisy festivals to have a very mm-hmm. quality sure, chat. Sure. And, one of the things that I always loved about the Jubilee is people were quite nerdy and they came with questions and they were ready to listen, which is can be surprising when you're pouring endless amounts of whiskey for a number of hours. Yeah. Uh, but I think, again, it's about people come in, there's a high level of energy, there's an excitement. It's like, what have you got? And if you work at the kind of tables, like when I was at the auction house, we had great stuff on the table and we kind of became known that we were going to mm-hmm. bring maybe a cage bottle from Cameltown. Maybe we were going to have the first bottles from the from the fish. Yep. Um, I remember the one of the first Jubilees we did and we brought the 24-year-old Lagavulin from the fish and mm. Diageo were at the table eating it up, just being like, no, don't give it to these people. <laughs> we want to try it. How did you get it? Um, so that that's pretty cool. The idea that, first of all, I was pouring something. So people are coming to you already excited because, first of all, they're very nice people and they're like, you seem like a nice person too. Ha ha. Um, what have you got that we can try? But also, we know you're going to bring something quality to the table. Yeah. And they wanted to learn a little bit. And that's that's nice to share, whether it's five minutes and they come back and try again, or if they just take one dram for you and they move on. It, it's nice to share a moment with someone. And so I think uh, being at the festivals is going to afford me that opportunity. I love a bit of people watching, so that's always great fun from mm-hmm. the other side of the table. Um, but also the chance to talk to other exhibitors. I always have... Uh, great fun at shows um like swapping jams being like mm-hmm. i've got some on this table what do you have on that and um 
meeting different reps in different territories. I mean, it, when you do American shows, it's amazing because they all have, you guys all switch up territories. So it's almost like dealing with different countries. Yes. Um, some reps I would meet all over America and some reps I would meet their like East Coast distributor instead, which is, you know, that's nice. And it's a chance to try to swap samples of maybe uh, there's a US release or something that I have never tried. Or when I was at the auctions, I have an older version of what you have on the table. That was quite good at one of yes. the festivals we had uh two old balvenie bottlings so that was nice to switch that with the grants guys they had like the contemporary versions to do a little kind of switcheroo and uh see what you like kind of swap it stuff um i've also done shows where people from brands have come and seen our table and i have some on the table that they've never seen before um so in scotland we're quite lucky we can go to distilleries and fill hand fill bottles lots of distilleries these days offer that so when you're going abroad that's always a good thing to take with you because nobody's going to have that i remember having a glendronach hand fill at a whiskey show that was not a jubilee whiskey show a different whiskey show and the glendronach guys came over and they're like are you sure that's glendronach and right. i was like yes very sure i went to the distillery and filled it myself what <laughs> what what had led to their question they they just sat on the table and they didn't because oh, it's got okay. a slightly different label so okay. it had nothing they, to do with the taste of it no, the color no, of no, it no. it was just a bottle they didn't recognize yeah they were like oh we've what market is this in and i was like eh, I can't, the distillery <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> so i mean that was kind of fun to show them that and um to share that with them that was nice um because i i like to think uh whiskey is like an, an evolving journey you never nobody knows the answer and that's whether you walked into the industry today or if you're like some of the guys that have been in the industry for decades they still don't know everything mm -hmm. so that is inspiring to me and I, I love to learn more tell me tell me about your worm tubs <laughs> tell me about your you know like everything so that's what I like you about were about to ask when the worm, worm tub episode is going live weren't you I could tell you could see in your eyes I've got a wormy look in my eyes <laughs> Um, we're still working on it Jess we're still working on it it's work in progress but that that kind of like and one of the things that I love about uh, listening to One Nation Under Whiskey's podcast is you afford me the opportunity to listen to something you know you, you've collaborated with a number of people who are going to be able to answer questions about things that I maybe wouldn't have thought about yeah, at the distillery yeah. or had time to ask or yeah. us you know. too right that's yeah you know we've we've gone into asking questions because we want to hear the answers yeah. not because we know the answer already right uh, and so it's it's just part of that ongoing conversation that we want to have with industry types as well and share some really cool whiskeys exactly no pressure well you know <laughs> on the back of that we'll get out of here on this and you've heard me ask this of other people What's the thing you're most excited about now that you're in the SCN fold? What what are you looking forward to to doing? I am really looking forward to bottling six single casts of Chichibu and all 1950s Moloch. That's that's getting edited out, isn't it? Um, what am I looking? I am looking forward to. Um, genuinely, it's about being a bit more out and playing with whiskey more directly than I did. I really loved the stuff I was doing with the auctions and I was, I'm very grateful for the time I had there and the people I have been able to meet and the connections I've made are fantastic. I'm looking forward to a slightly different angle of the industry, um, an angle that I um, didn't really see me getting into. So this is all new territory for me. Um, I am looking forward to having nerdy conversations about bottle shapes and and boxes, <laughs> uh, and uh, just just about sharing more whiskies with more people. And I, I think that's going to be really awesome. And I know I'm doing it in great company with you and Joshua, 
that's my suck up bit done. But also I'm doing it in great company with um, people who know the brand and are going to be as equally excited to try new things. And some people who don't know the brand and don't know how excited they're going to be to try my 1950s Molochs. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I'll be a bit more serious. <laughs> no, um, have you met Joshua? Come on now. You're right. I haven't made a single penis joke. Uh, <laughs> Joshua, when you edit this, could you put one in? <laughs> We're going to set the record straight here. When, when I say go, everybody whip out their dick and go, Aah! Oh boy, don't tempt them. <laughs> um, well, as you know, we're incredibly excited to welcome you to Single Cast Thanks. Nation. And you are going to be an absolute boon for us, for the nation, and for the nation members. And I'm excited that so many of them already know you. And we're really excited to load you up with Single Cast Nation bottles bottled casks oh yeah and send you out into the world to keep spreading the gospel so welcome my friend okay i'll sign out as boots on the ground (laughs) thanks very much (laughs) cheers mate i hope you enjoyed getting to learn more about jess lomas Mm -hmm. the day this episode drops i'll be preparing to head back to glasgow and jess and i will be working the Glasgow's Whiskey Festival Single Cast Nation Table. And I am so excited not only to work with Jess for the very first time in that capacity and have her representing Single Cast Nation from behind a table, Mm. but as I was saying to you a, a month or so ago when we were making these plans, I grew up in Ayr. You know, it's now only about 30 minutes southwest of Glasgow. I didn't grow up a whiskey lover. I grew up in a family that that drank just cheap, cheap nonsense and, and mixed it with something to, to make it taste less horrible and then drank it with vast quantities uh, of beer. <laughs> uh-huh. I didn't really have a whiskey life until I moved to the University of Aberdeen, met my Finnish friend Petty, introduced yeah. a single malt, fell in love. But shortly after graduating from the University of Aberdeen, I moved to the United States. And really, my whiskey life has been in the United States. And so for me to stand in Glasgow on November 9 and pour Single Cast Nation as close to my hometown as I'm I'm probably going to get. There is an air festival and I do want to pour at that. Oh. Uh, they, they hold that in air. It's the Whiskey and All That Festival, uh, named from a, another line in Burns, uh, hosted by Robbie's Drams, which is a good little oh, story in It's air. a really good story, yeah. Right. Yep. So, I, so I may ultimately get to pour in my hometown, which that'll be even more amazing. <laughs> but this... Launching Single Cast Nation into Glasgow on November 9 is, uh, honestly, Josh, I've got goosebumps just describing it to you right now. And the fact that I'll be standing there pouring our product Mm -hmm. in Scotland, a little bit mental. I'm going to have a little bit of an out-of-body experience. Just like Jess thinks she's going to have one now that she'll be pouring and representing Single Cast Nation. yep. I'll be having mine from being back home in Scotland, pouring my brand. Unbelievable. Uh, mean, m- meanwhile, I'll be here in the U.S. twiddling my thumbs, 
That sounds like you. That tracks. <laughs> That's okay. I'll, I'll do what kids do, what teachers do for kids who go on vacation. I'll, I'll leave you some work to keep you busy. Yeah, leave me some work. I'll actually be busy with Mike Wheeler of Pandaren Distillery. Oh. Yeah, he's going to be coming out. And so I'll have some time in New York and Connecticut and Massachusetts doing various seminars and visiting various accounts and, and whatnot. So Mike Wheeler isn't a name I know from Pandaren. No. So he's been with Pandaren for a good while. Uh, he was operating stills with Pandaren, okay. um, you know, the Faraday stills. And they also have copper pot stills, the, you know, from Forsyth as well. Uh, but he's been doing some brand ambassadorial things and some sale things here and there. Normally we would have David Cover come out yeah, to the US, but he's been out to the US like seven, eight, nine times. And um <laughs> which people would have heard from a from a previous episode, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've got Mike Wheeler this time. So while you are pouring single cast nation in Glasgow at Glasgow's Whiskey Festival, I will be with Mike Wheeler. Um, showing him around and pouring Pandaren for people in Connecticut, Massachusetts, and New York. Wow. Yep. One of the jobs I'm going to leave you oh. is being in charge of our new cigar release. Oh. And I think you are just the man to handle this. Should we transition to news and you can give us more information? I tell you, you're really good at these sagooies. Boop, boop. Extra, <laughs> extra. We all are about it. Life story of Playboy Penny. Extra, extra. Extra, extra. We all about it. Me and that Playboy in trouble again. Extra, extra. We all about it. Yeah. So I'll tell you what. That millionaire Playboy who was in trouble again, uh, I guarantee uh, he smoked cigars. I guarantee mm. he was a cigar smoker. However, if anybody's nervous, I don't think he got into trouble while smoking cigars. <laughs> yeah. So we. So what's this yeah. about? We have we have kept this under our hats. We have not teased this in any way, shape, or form. No, we did a little bit of teasing on Facebook, and if you were on Facebook, then then you you'd know. No, thank you. <laughs> I would rather not know. <laughs> That's not the right answer. That's not a good brand answer. <laughs> Thankfully. People who are interested in Single Cast Nation are in the Facebook group and they are in the know. They are in the know. And so, uh, yeah, I'm really excited. So, longtime friend of ours, and while he's not employed by us, he has the nickname Cigar Czar Yoni Miller. He is our cigar guy. And if you ever went to Whiskey Jubilee, New York, I think. Which the, I did. I think the past. The last two New York events, he was the cigar guy behind the table mm. pouring, uh, pouring cigars, lighting cigars, <laughs> um, lighting pours, <laughs> lighting pours. <laughs> and so, you know, Yoni is really connected within the cigar world, and just like us back when we were bloggers and we got to know distillery managers and blenders and, you know, just as enthusiasts, 
he as a cigar enthusiast gets to know the producers and has a really good understanding of how the industry works and how cigars are put together and why a Habano wrapper is going to taste different than a Connecticut shade wrapper and, you know, all of this stuff. So I want to commend you on pulling out the two technical terms, you know, and using them flawlessly in a sentence. Then what was the other one? <laughs> oh, God. I set them up. He knocks them up. <laughs> <laughs> um, Carry on. So this was really an idea concocted by Yoni. I want to say almost two and a half, three years ago. He said, "You guys should really think about doing a cigar. I can, I can set you up with this, and you know, we'll do something." And yeah, certainly not something that had crossed our minds. No, because we're, you know, we're, we're we enjoy cigars. We dabble. Yeah, uh, you used to dabble a bit more than I did. Long time ago. Yeah, a good decade ago, I dabbled yeah. a little bit more yeah. than you. So, you know, I'm one of those guys who enjoys cigars, but never mixes cigars and whiskey. I personally don't like the combination and I understand I'm the odd man out. Yeah. Yeah, you you speak to cigar folk and and they will swear by finding the right whiskey with the right cigar and I love that enthusiasm mm. for that pairing. And um, there's that the chap that you introduced me to at the Keepers Banquet in New York uh, whose Instagram I think is Greg of the Drams. Oh, the, yeah. The Glendronach fella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Greg King. Yeah, sure. Greg King. I'm sorry, yeah. Greg. I totally forgot your, your last name there. Um, Typical. He, he, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, I'm amazed I remembered his first name. So <laughs> I was quite, I was quite happy with myself. Uh-huh. Um, he, he spent multiple years in the being a cigar brand ambassador. Yeah. And he told me he would smoke four cigars a day. That's insane. It, 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 it sounds insane. <laughs> but he was even telling me that, and obviously he would have to move around New York to, to get mm-hmm. to all of his events, but he would love it when he got stuck in traffic because it meant he could sit in his car and savor a cigar. Right? right? Isn't that amazing? Well, that, <laughs> like, that's... I love that. And that anyway, we're, it, we're getting a little farther off. And off that the is yeah. what these cigars are about. You know, exactly. People who love cigars, like think of, think of, uh, our friend, Matt Lurin. He's posting pictures on Facebook all the time oh, yeah. where he's smoking these cigars that are about 35 feet long. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, I get to relax with a cigar. And yeah. I said, how They're long? The length of a baby's arm. Right. Um, I said, how long is that going to take you to to smoke that? And he said, this will probably be about two hours. Yeah. Right. That's and, a commitment. Right. And so this is, so anyway, yeah. you know, there, there, there are definitely parallels in the whiskey world to the cigar world. It's, it is a vice and it's an oh, enjoyable yeah. vice. And so we heard Yoni that two and a half, three years ago, we should do something. And then finally, and this was for our last New York Jubilee, he said, you know, I seriously, I can hook you up with the right producer, <laughs> you know, if you want to do something. So at that time, our festival bottling for the last New York one was a marriage of MGP rye whiskey and MGP bourbon whiskey. And we dumped those 
and we had this rye cask. Well, we had both casks that, that we didn't need anymore. And I'm speaking with, with Yoni about it. He said, I've been smoking cigars for years, and there are plenty of barrel-aged cigars. I have never heard of anyone specify rye cask-aged cigars. So said, and if anybody would know. Right, if anybody would know, it'd be Yoni. So he hooked us up with Aganorsa Leaf, who produces you know a whole, a whole slew of different cigars and cigar brands. And we sent the cask down to them. They got a good nose of the cask. They wanted to know what we like in cigars. And I don't, I think you said you like sort of medium body cigars. Yeah, I, there, yeah right? Yeah. I like light to medium body cigars. And they said, you know what, with the way this rye cask smells, it's actually going to be perfect. And that would be the thing for me is knowing that that rye cask will bring that spice, yeah. that rye spice. You, I can't imagine you would want a heavy cigar going in and battling with that rye spice. Not at all. Not at all. And so so let me tell you about the cigar a little Please. bit. Please. So first off, there's only going to be, two, there were only 2,000 sticks produced. Okay. And they're going to be sold in packs of 10. And, and the price is going to be about $120 per pack. Okay. It's going to be sold through twoguyscigars.com. And single cast nation members will get access to these cigars. We'll be releasing a, a, a link, um, like a hidden link. They'll have access on November 12th. Nice. And then starting on November 13th, everybody else will have access to it. So to only 200 cases, right? Because we had 2,000 sticks and they're packs of 10. Mm-hmm. And when you call it a case, are you using that interchangeably with pack? Yeah, you know, t- I know whiskey vernacular. I can I d- tell. Right? There you go. <laughs> That's why I'm so, having this. Uh, so it's going to come in a, in a keg of 10. <laughs> and <laughs> it's going to come in a diaper of 10. And oh. no, I'm not going to do that one. Maybe. <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> <do this. laughs> oh my God, you can't help yourself today. <laughs> And diaper <laughs> presentations. Punchy, Jeez Louise. Um, so <laughs> the, the cigar itself uh, is Robusto in size. So it's... Oh, that's my favorite size. It? Yeah, so it's manageable, right? It's, Absolutely. It's just about five inches long. I think it's five and a quarter. And the ring size, the ring gauge is, is 50. So it's... Not this a is big exactly what one. I used to purchase. Right. Yep. It's like it's yep. like it's like an hour, hour and fifteen, something like that. If that, yeah, that seems a little bit on the long side. But anyway, I, well, I think you'll be within that forty-five minutes to an hour range. So my go-to cigar is always the the Fuente short story, mm-hmm. which which is about four four-ish inches long, and that's a forty-five minute smoke for me. Oh, okay. Right, so I'm okay. just kind of okay. doing the math there. Give, you have give a light. A, you have a light draw. It sounds like okay. It could be, um, yeah. Uh, so there's a joke in there somewhere, and I will let the listener <laughs> laugh to themselves and tell their own <laughs> jokes, or email us and say, "I can't believe you guys missed the joke <laughs> on that one." Yes, uh, you got to do some work, listener. <laughs> Uh, so for the cigar dorks out there, it's got a Habano Ecuador wrapper, and then the filler and binder is is Nicaraguan tobacco, mm-hmm. and and actually, 
Yoni had some tasting notes. You want to hear that? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Be- before, are you going to read them? I'm going to read them. So before you do that, mm. Yoni sent us each a photo from his time down there with the producer. Mm-hmm. Yes, he did. And th- this was a photo of a really dark, shiny, yeah. oily stick. Yeah, it looked really uh, nice. And for you and I, as mm-hmm. texture guys, with all of our cast selections, mm-hmm. it was so wonderful to see a photo of this oily stick and say, oh, this is absolutely connected to what we do. Exactly. This exactly. is absolutely yeah. in our wheelhouse. Yep. And I, I am really excited to, to smoke one of them, share them. Oh, I can't um, so, so, okay. So with that, I, I wanted to give some, some visual context mm-hmm. before you then. Yeah. Good. So good I'm, good. I'm excited to hear these notes. And so what Yoni says, he says, the cold draw allows notes of vanilla and sweetness from the barrel. It's different than the sweetness you'd normally get from a Habano wrapper. Once lit, the sweetness dies down and you delve into a typical Aganorsa profile cigar, spicy deliciousness. However, it's tempered because of the barrel aging. The barrel changes the experience from the typical Aganorsa profile, and it's it's sort of a one-of-a-kind first for them, for Aganorsa leaf. He goes on, he says, the cigar looks and feels velvety smooth. So you got the vanilla sweetness going on. You've got some spiciness from the Habano wrapper. Um, I imagine that rye is going to offer up a, a, you know, a bit of more whiskey driven, spicy characteristics to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I have not smoked this yet, but we've got the guy to smoke oh, yeah. it, oh, to, yeah. to give his, you know, green light <laughs> of approval. Uh, yeah. but I, I've been familiar with Eganorsa leaf for years and have smoked plenty of their cigars and it's always quality. They're always delicious. The draw is always really nice, really easy. Um, any brands that our listeners would be familiar with from them? Yeah, definitely. They of course have their own brand, the, uh, Eganorsa leaf brand. And you may have heard of uh, Casa Fernandez. Have you ever oh, had yeah. any Casa Fernandez yeah, absolutely, sticks? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then uh, JFR sticks they do as well. Oh. And okay, you, you know them? Okay, so there yeah, you go. Yeah, I've seen them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is this is really exciting. It's a very different kind of project for us, and even the the little ring on the cigar is. Single, single castination. That's yeah, really, going to be really exciting to see yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Give it a smoke, share around. I actually, here in the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia, I have a, a bourbon group that I get together with mm. uh, whenever I'm in town. And those chaps are all cigar smokers okay. and bourbon drinkers. And I was telling them a little bit about this project. Mm-hmm. And they are crazy excited to try, as, as you'd mentioned from Yoni earlier, a rye barrel matured cigar. It's not a thing that you know many people have any kind of experience with. Yeah, and, and what they did to mature it, so usually when you barrel age cigars, you're not barrel aging the cigars, you're actually barrel aging the tobacco. Mm, I'm but, with you. But it was such a big and fresh cask 
they were a bit concerned about how much impact that rye cask would have on the raw uh, leaves themselves. So they actually built the cigar, built the cigars, and then tested out to see, hmm. you know, how are these cigars going to work in that cask? And what they found was it imparts a lot of flavors. So at first they put it in there for X amount of time. I don't remember the number. And they said, oof, that's too much. That's too much. <laughs> so let's, you know, let's let's dial it back a little bit. So it was a bit of trial and error to get it to the point where the whiskey wasn't overtaking the cigar too much. Where, sure, smart. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like when you take a whiskey and you finish it in a new cask, you, you know. Yeah. How how long are you going to let it sit in that finishing cask before the finishing cask could potentially change what you liked about the spirit from that distillery? So, I, yep. again, it gets back to those very interesting parallels of the cigar world to the to the whiskey world, which which I like. Yeah, crazy project. Sincere thanks to Yoni for heading yeah. this up for us as yep. well. Yep. Um, clearly, single cast nations are brand. And we really trusted Yoni with our our brand, with our baby here. Yeah. And yeah. and he has not disappointed. So yeah. Sincere so, thanks to him. And yeah. cigar cigar fans, look out for it on reminders of the URL. So thank you. So that was a that is what I was going to say. So it will be on two guyscigars.com. Cigar aficionados will know who those people are. For those that don't know, it's the number two. And then guyscigars.com. And you're going to want an account. So go there, sign up for a free account. If you are a Single Cast Nation member, that's great. We will email you the hidden URL on November 12. If you are not a Single Cast Nation member, just go to singlecastnation.com and sign up for, again, a free membership. That'll put you on our mailing list. You can go to our uh, Facebook members only page. Make sure when you ask to be on the Facebook members page that you answer the three very simple questions. First one says, did you sign up to be a member? All you have to do is say, yes, I did. Uh, Then we ask you who your favorite independent bottler is. And you could say whoever the hell you want to. And then you have to promise to be nice in our group. (laughs) <laughs> and if you don't answer those three questions, we will not accept you into the group, period. And it's tough. We, we do our best to try to protect our members as best we can. If you want to be a part of this, you have to be a member. It's free. Answer the questions. And then you've, we give you the keys to the Single Cast Nation Kingdom. Jason. Gosh, what a reward. Look at that. Yeah. Man. Um, any, any news we want to give on the, the whiskey side of things? I know and you know we've got multiple projects going on behind the scenes. Anything you want to tease out in this moment? Yeah, really quickly. And and if we really, really quickly, because that was a pretty long news segment on the cigars themselves. We may have mentioned it in the past, but because this is the Jess Lomas episode, For those that live in the UK and EU, and for those that live in the US that want access to to this range of bottlings, which is only available outside of the US, we we call it our 70CL range. (laughs) Um, 
<laughs> I want to let people know. Would you say the 70 CL range is just missing the tip? <laughs> it's just, which is perfect for the Jewish whiskey company. Um, I set them up, you knock them down. Boom. So I want to just remind, because I think we may have mentioned it on a previous episode. We definitely did. We definitely did. So I'm just, and so if you heard it before, you now get a reminder. If you haven't heard it before, I'm about to list out the six bottlings that are is in our very first 70 CL range. So the first is a nine-year-old blended malt matured in a first fill sherry cask. And that's a blend of malt whiskeys from the Edrington distilleries. What's in it? We don't know. What are the ratios? We don't know. We just know we got a cask of blended malt that tasted amazing. Um, it did taste amazing. There's yeah. no doubt about that. Then there's a 12-year-old Kalila from a bourbon hogshead. With the Kalila name front and center with for anybody Kalila. who's familiar yes, with our exactly. recent American undisclosed Isla. An incredibly fruity uh, Tiananich, 13-year-old from a bourbon hogshead. Big success at Maltstock. A wonderfully funky 13-year-old Kregeliki, also yeah. from a bourbon hogshead. Yep. A nice, rich, malty 12-year-old Tomatin, again, this time mm. from a bourbon barrel. And then finally, a 16-year-old rum from um, Angostura, so Trinidadian rum. That's whiskey, sorry, that rum spent 16 years in a refill sherry hogshead. So you get Oof. some really interesting sherry notes on that um, on that rum. So it's been great going around hearing yeah. more people ask when are more rums coming. Yeah. There's real attention being paid to that category. Yep, yep. And we we poured some of this at malt stock. Uh, not everything, but we poured maybe two or three of these at malt stock. So. For the folk that visited Maltstock and got, got to taste these, these are going to start, you'll start finding them on online shops, online UK shops, and also we're in discussions with distributors in, in Holland, in Germany, in France, in, you know, you name it, Sweden, and so on. So keep an eye out for it. It's going to be around and we will have the luxury of Jess going around to sell it, and you, dear listeners, those that live outside of the U.S., may have the luxury of seeing Jess pour it for you, which will be nice. <laughs> and they'll all be poured at Glasgow's Whiskey Fest on and November 9th. And they will. Yep. yep. Uh, awesome. Right. Awesome. That's, that's exciting stuff. And do we have an email to share? So two things came in, and what's interesting is uh, one came in via Instagram, and, and one thing came in via email, but both of them, they sort of, they share the same spirit, oh, if okay. you will. Okay. So, so the first one came from Discovering Drams. Uh, oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And we know... Discovering Drams, that's that's the Instagram handle. Indeed. Um, but they are down under. They are down there. Yeah, from, uh, well, <laughs> is New Zealand, is New Zealand considered down there? 
Oh, very much so, Is yes. Right. Yeah, mostly because geographically it's down there. <laughs> so so uh, his real name is is Cameron, uh, Cameron Taylor. Well, look, I did not know that. Yeah, <laughs> okay. See? There you go. <laughs> and uh, so Cameron says, okay, I know you've set a precedent for Emmy Award winning guests on your podcast. I don't know how you would lock this in. But discussing bourbon with noted enthusiast and Emmy Award winning Stephen Colbert would be quite the conversation. He says, just a suggestion, and I know it's a big ask, but keep up the great work, loving the podcast. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Stephen Colbert, also a very well-known Lord of the Rings fan uh-huh. and uh, many-time visitor to New Zealand during the filming of that. So I was going back and forth with him. And so the interesting thing is, I think that I might share a mutual friend with Stephen Colbert. Um, okay. I think, I think, think, think that I do. Is it Matthew Reese? <laughs> <laughs> it's Matthew Reese. It's Neil Simon, um, <laughs> who's passed away now. Uh, and so, so I responded to him. I said, I said, we're on it. I had no, or said, had no idea that uh, he was a bourbon lover. And I said, but I think, I think that I might have a friend in common. Thank you for the good suggestion. And to which Cameron replies, he said, Stephen is actually in New Zealand for the moment filming his show, Hint, Hint. So there you go. So does what, Cameron yeah. know Stephen Colbert? Is that um, So I'll respond to him right now. This is funny. Um, I'll say, <laughs> can you get us a hookup? Question mark. Winky face. Is Cameron Taylor maybe the online persona of Stephen Colbert? Oh my God. <laughs> so so it's interesting. You'd said he's he's a Lord of the Rings fan. I I have a Tom Bombadil tattoo on me, and I was in a band called Leaves of Lothlorien, and the our category of music we've dubbed Elfcore. We'll, we'll be able to talk bourbon and Lord of the Rings and all sorts of dorky things. <laughs> this but, is insane. So, so there was that message. And then we got um, uh, an email. Can, just before we go to email, yeah, yeah, I can yeah. only imagine the number of listeners who will just simply message us with their wish list of people who they would love to hear us interview. <laughs> <laughs> Where we have no contacts at all. <laughs> Yeah, would you like to come on the One Nation Under Whiskey podcast? But, hey, set your sights high. That's always been your philosophy, Joshua. because you never know. There you go. You never, you never do know. If only our listeners could actually see our list of people we'd like to interview or just dream interviews. Nice long list. (laughs) Um, so, So then we got an email from Leo Vaitsman. Oh, yeah, good lad. Yep, yep good. Very good, good lad. Good supporter. Thank you, Leo. Yep. Always love you. Yep. And the the 
the email subject is just spies. And, mm. uh, and he says, hey, guys, I just finished watching The Spy, which is a Netflix a show on Netflix. He says, since you are disguising yourselves as a whiskey podcast and in keeping with your tradition of interviewing other spies like Matthew Reese, <laughs> when is Sasha Baron Cohen scheduled to be oh. on your podcast? <laughs> Thanks, Leo. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my yeah. Gosh. I would kill to have Sasha Baron Cohen <laughs> on this podcast. It'd be freaking brilliant. I have no words. So love. So this oh is gosh. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this onto our listeners. If there are any listeners out there that have a connection to either Stephen Colbert, <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen, and you know another one, I'm going to put this out there because I'm still waiting to hear back from them. If anybody has a connection to Bonnie Prince Billy, uh, a.k.a. Will Oldham, reach out to us. You can reach oh. out to us however you'd like, and I will give you the ways in which to reach out to us. You can do what Leo did. You can email us, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. You could Instagram us like uh, Cameron, uh, a.k.a. Discovering Drams did. And we are at One Nation Under Whiskey. You could tweet at us, at One Nation Whiskey. Or you could send us a Facebook message. Just go to Facebook, search for One Nation Under Whiskey, either the group or the page, and send a direct message there. And a reminder, because we, we haven't talked about this in a while, uh, we never spell whiskey with an E. So if you're trying to reach out to us and you put an E in the word whiskey, uh, someone else is going to get that, and it won't be us. So, Which is interesting because my last name is Johnston Yellen, and I always have to remind people there is an E in Johnston. There's n- and there's one knee in yelling if we're being pedantic. Do you get much people calling you John Stone? Do I get much people calling me John Stone? Yes, I do, Joshua. I get much people calling me John Stone. Fuck, I meant many. Do you get many people? <laughs> oh, that, no, that's stinging. I'm not answering you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> As you rightly say, I get much people. Ah. <sighs> <sighs> All right. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. Do we have anything else to talk about? <laughs> nope, we're out of here. <laughs> Jason, this is how I want to end this podcast. <laughs> the edits are always obvious when one of us says the other person's name or says the word so. You know, if if we can't have like <laughs> safe segue words, <laughs> then p- people will just be downloading, you know, just empty podcasts like i have to when we start transitioning with the word banana hammock you'll know that we'll really run out of safe words (laughs) it's rare in fact this is a first time ever that we get to thank the podcast guest for his or her time on the podcast and also thank our guest for for joining the single cast nation team Exactly. Right? For being a good friend for for all these years and believing in us. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. (laughs) Wow, look at you. Was that perfect pitch? You're something's true. You're a friend and a confidant. Wow. Wow. I don't don't know what's happening. 
That's the theme song from... Elf. Golden Girls. Ah, Golden Girls. Which just happened to be on the TV the other night, and I watched a double episode, and I loved it. Nice. Well, it was a great show. I couldn't remember the... Great show. um, The theme song. But, But listen, there's something to be said. Obviously we thought highly enough of Jess to say, do you want to be a part of this team? Mm-hmm. And and I'm honored to know that she thought highly enough of us to say, you know what, I, I, I want to be on this expansion journey uh, with, with, with Joshua and Jason and 100%. So that really, really, really means a lot to us. So Absolutely. thank you, Jess. Yep. Yep. Thank you, Jess. And uh, I think that's it, Jason. I think it's time for you and I to make like a shepherd and get the flock out. (laughs) I'll see some of you in Glasgow. (laughs) Joshua, I will see you following that in Vermont. That's right. Oh, there's a little, a little, wow, that's a tease. Are we saying that? Cheerio. (laughs) Cheerio. There was a video of, that I posted on Facebook of um, uh, basically a doctor extracting some sort of a grub-like worm from someone's lip. Why are you telling me this? This is horrific. Because I can only think the only way oh. that he got that worm into his lip is maybe he was doing some crazy <laughs> stuff. Can't hear you. Can't hear you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Stuff gets you worms in your lips. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's... Oh, what's oh. wrong with you? Why it, would you post that to Facebook? You're his, broken. His name in the industry is called the... <laughs> he's the ATM machine. <laughs> that's the only time adding machine after ATM works out. You slayed yourself on that one.